This is Radio Free Bay Ridge. Hey there, Bay Ridge. I'm Rachel. And I'm Dan. And this week, we've got a new voice on the podcast. The newest addition to the Radio Free Bay Ridge team is Eric Schell, our new senior correspondent. Hey, 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 guys. Education's a huge issue in our district, and we're thrilled to have Eric focusing not exclusively, of course, on these issues. So before we let Eric take it away, let's all catch up on what's been happening since our last episode. Well, lots of interesting things happening, actually. Just a couple of days ago, Marty Golden getting uh, caught on, uh, what, 3rd Avenue, uh, almost running down yep. a cyclist in a bike lane? Yep. Straight up impersonating a police officer. Feels waving Feels waving a placard out of the window. It's, oh it's been covered by the New York Times, The Village Voice, Streets Blogs. And I guess we, we should say, allegedly. Because, you know, there's no other reason that a uh, cyclist would take multiple photos of you while you're trying to hide your face with a sun visor. That, now, hold, hold on, though. Hold on. Marty reviewed that man's Twitter and it was clear that he was the kind of activist who cared about not getting run over by cars. That's true. So I don't know if we can totally mm. take what he had to say at face value. Yeah, exactly. What was that bicyclist doing in a bike lane? On his way to a Transit Alternatives meeting, which was probably funded by George Soros. Let's be real. Yeah, listen, guys, just while we're here, I haven't gotten any checks. I know you guys have and I really would like to... If my, if we'll my address split it up. On, yeah. So we have Golden. Um, we also just had the repeal of net neutrality. Yeah. Happened this very day. It did. And Dan Donovan has been asked about this a few times at some of the coffee events. Um, and he was told he was studying it. He would get back to us. The closest we could get from his office was that he supports the idea of a free and open internet, but doesn't know if Title II is the way to go about it. So after the FCC killed the rule, I called back and said, so what's next? Does he have anything on deck? He didn't seem to. And and this was at the point where I think we all knew that Dan was not going to step up and fight for us on this. Not at all. I, I, was, I hope that he at least goes to the trouble of writing an op-ed explaining his thought process. He did that for the HCA. He did that for the tax bill. I got to be honest. I don't think net neutrality is big enough on his radar. I don't think he would get the magnitude of what net neutrality is. For some of our listeners who really don't quite understand why new net neutrality is important, if you're listening to this on a smartphone, Sprint, Verizon, your carrier, they could throttle this very podcast for not carrying, say, advertisements, which we vowed never to do. You don't need to get radio-free Bay Ridge. You'll get radio-paid Bay Ridge instead. And that's the kind of thing... Our top competitor. (laughs) I hate them so much. And conveniently enough, Dan, Donovan also just released uh, some actual legislation for the first time. He He's now co-sponsoring a bill, which he had announced a while ago, and then he got real quiet about to ban, hopefully I'll get this right, sex dolls shaped like children from the United States. So sure. he's banning, okay, I'm all for banning that, I guess. I, I don't. We don't need that. Yeah. Nobody needs that. When did he uh, push this out into... Well, the the first time he posted about it was, I think, maybe like a month or two, something. It's been a while since like he first mentioned it, and then he got real quiet about it, and then the election was two days ago. The Alabama election. Yeah. Yeah, the Alabama election with Roy Roy Moore, child molester. (laughs) And, you know, about 48 hours later, here comes Dan Donovan, ready to save the world from pedophiles. That just seems really oddly timed for someone who's trying to speak out on a moral issue to like hold this off well whether whether he holds it off or doesn't what worries me more is the fact that he was so focused on this that he didn't have time to actually say Roy Moore doesn't belong in the Senate. That would certainly be a more impressive use of your platform when you're actually in danger of seeing a child molester be elected to the Senate. Independent voter here. Uh, 
in no way mm-hmm. <laughs> interested in supporting or endorsing Roy Moore in any way, shape, or form. The man is a monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, the freshman congressman known as Dan Donovan, GOP in the House, it's a pretty easy thing for him to wash his hands of. The House and the Senate do not get along. Mm-hmm. And as one of the only Republicans from New York, he probably thought he would get no flack from his constituency on saying nothing. And so he said nothing. Anyway, um, so that's what's new in the district. Oh, and then we also oh, the, have the Guardian Angel Guardian site. Angel Guardian site yeah. did get sold by uh, the the nuns yep. um, to a undisclosed developer. Hopefully, maybe by the time this episode airs, we'll know more about that plan. And I just remind our listeners to keep that in their mind. It will actually play into a little bit about what we're going to talk about this episode, which is uh, education. education. <laughs> Eric, want to lay out what we're going to be talking about? Uh, Yeah, well, I think the best thing is to probably let our newly elected city council member-elect Justin Brannon set the stage for us. I've only made one promise in this campaign, and that's I promise to build a new school within the first four years uh, of the first term. So that was Justin making a pretty direct promise. One new school, next four years. No hedging there. Pretty ambitious. Exactly. And it's a promise that sounds great. Uh, and school overcrowding is an issue that plays really well with voters. Which we could see across the political spectrum during the city council race, even though the solutions each candidate proposed were different. And Justin's was definitely the most ambitious. Yeah, the other candidates focused more on fighting illegal home conversions as a... Dog whistly. Yeah, way of driving school attendance down, I guess. But what the issue didn't address was that there are thousands more students in District 20 than it's currently capable of housing, which is why Justin's promise was a very, very welcome one. I was reading a thing the other... We'll link to it in the show notes the other day about how one of the biggest challenges in District 20 is actually figuring out where to put a new school. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Where do you find the space for thousands of kids when every square foot of a district has already been accounted for. Well, in the case of the most recent school in District 20, the city used eminent domain to seize four lots in Sunset Park, just north of the overpass. And even before that, there are a ton of bureaucratic and political hoops that make the rezoning, construction, staffing process of a new school. It's madness. All of which, I guess, can get really difficult for the average Bay Ridgeite to wade through. Exactly. Which is why today we're going to take a close look at our new councilman's quote, one and only promise. We're going to lay out for you step by step what it would take to bring a new school to Bay Ridge. We're going to talk rezoning, school boards, and half-handed politics. And at the end of all that, we're going to have a nice conversation with Councilman-elect Brannon and see whether his plans fit with our understanding of the situation. So question number one, why does our district need a new school? But our schools, it's no, um, you know, it's no surprise to anyone that they're woefully overcrowded. Um, so we need more schools and we need to get creative when land does become available to prioritize building public schools. And he's right. School District 20, the district in which Bay Ridge sits, has one of the worst cases of overcrowding in Brooklyn. And in fact, in New York City. Uh, In 2013, we already needed over 5,000 seats. To quote the Independent Budget Office, quote, the number of seats needed is even greater because enrollment citywide is projected to grow by 5.7% from academic year 2011 to 2012 through academic year 2021 to 2022, end quote. Uh, just over the halfway mark of that projection, which is now, uh, the 20 public schools in Bay Ridge are all over 140% capacity and no new schools appear to be on the horizon. Yikes. 
Yeah, I know everybody probably already realizes it, but let me be frank. That kind of overcrowding is really, really problematic. Problematic or bad? Okay, yeah, so it's it's bad. <laughs> Let's just run down a few of the reasons why, right? So crappy student-to-teacher ratios, traffic issues caused by pickup and drop-off times, which I'm sure every ba- person in Bay Ridge with a car can understand. Especially Marty Golden. Exactly. That's speed demon. Fewer <laughs> critical support amenities like playground space, books, counselors, support staff, Remember that uh, deadly school stabbing we talked about a few months ago? I think it was on our first episode. Um, Nobody thinks having fewer trusted adults around kids is a way to effectively amp up their safety. And that's really just the short list, the obvious things that people are already thinking about. But there are other ways of combating overcrowding, ways that Bay Ridge hasn't even started talking about yet. Oh, yeah? Uh, And it's something that's so important, just so needs to be on people's radar that I'm going outside of the district. I'm here tonight on something that's not presently on the agenda, but has become a pattern, has become apparent for our school. Uh, There was a hearing held on February the 2nd, which no one else in the building besides Success Academy knew was going to be held. Um, It was a hearing for renewal, but an expansion that wasn't previously discussed was also slipped into that renewal statement. Uh, This has become a pattern, I say, because I've also found out about another one that's happened in District 32 just this week. We do not mind sharing a building. We have no no opposition to successes renewal. We have nothing to do with that. We do, however, want to know when there is going to be an expansion in our building and why we were not notified of it and why there was no permit for the actual hearing and why the hearing was held without the principal being notified or the SLT being notified, of which I'm a member of the SLT. Um, And I would not like this to happen to any other parents. I'm a pretty savvy parent, and I only knew of it the day of. So I do believe that all choice is worth it, and the parents should have choice. But I also think that people should respect the choices that we make if we send our child to a public school. So, Eric, could you break that down a little for us? Yeah, so context. That was Celia Green speaking about Susan S. McKinney's Secondary School of the Arts in Education District 13. That's just up the R train from Bay Ridge. She describes a hearing that took place, as best as she can tell, without a permit or public notification, where a proposal was put forth to expand the school in order to accommodate a charter school. This is called co-location, which is the process of combining one or more schools into the same building. So basically timing the classes like arrival, dismissal, and staging that so different kids are using the same space in the same school all day. Yeah. Or what they'll do is they'll cut the school in half and one school will use one half and the other school will use the other. Yikes. And the buildings aren't designed for that. How does that fix overcrowding? It in no way fixes overcrowding. And people hate it. <laughs> uh, here's a quote from the YouTube video made by a local student. Links in the show notes. 
But our school is tiny, just 424 kids. There are five other schools in the same building. It's called co-location. Co-location? Sounds like that MTV show where they make a bunch of people who don't know each other live in the same house. My name is Leslie Batista. I've been going here since freshman year. My first week here, they told me we couldn't go to the other floors of the building or we'd get suspended. This is Kyla Donald. Nine months ago, I moved here from Georgia. In my old school back in Atlanta, one building housed one school. To me, forcing so many schools in one building seems like it would create problems. So now this co-location thing, the quote we just heard, their district was over seven times less crowded than ours. They only need 1.1 thousand seats. We need almost 8,000. So in Crown Heights, which is my old neighborhood, uh, PS221 saw attempts by LA Charter School Citizens of the World to co-locate in their neighborhood, a working class one with little time for parental input at community boards, especially after the cancellation of after-school programs. I also didn't realize that, yeah, when you have co-location and you're staggering these times, one of the first things that gets killed is after-school programs because there's no such thing as after-school because the second your school ends, another school school starts up. When you split a school in half, you take away teachers' ability to have their own classroom store and so things that go out the window when they buy their own supplies, those supplies are now being shared so they get used twice as fast. Um, They don't have any sense of permanency so they can't put any of their materials there. They have to take all the materials home. And before anybody in Bay Ridge gets upset, remember that as of 2015, there were plans to add 4.5 thousand seats to our district by 2024. Out in Crown Heights, where co-location is the latest fad, there aren't any plans to add any new seats at all. But here in Bay Ridge, we're not talking about co-location yet, right? Because we have the plans to build those seats. I mean, you're right in that we're not talking about co-location yet in Bay Ridge, but people need to remember, and people in Bay Ridge in particular need to remember that those are discussions that can happen very quickly and sometimes even without public notice. Why? Uh, Putting it bluntly, the long slog that new schools require might just not be fast enough for the DOE. All right. So we need more seats. And more schools. And we just agreed by a new school, we don't mean a dubious co-location that'll try to make our existing buildings more quote unquote efficient by playing with schedules and axing educational quality and after school programs. We mean a new school building. So how do we get them? The answer, like so many things in public policy, is... Depends on who you know. Newsflash. That's basically how everything in life works. <laughs> yeah, fair point. Okay, uh, so here is some more details taken from the Byzantine structure that is the DOE website. And I'm quoting now. A year prior to the decision to open a new school in a district, the Office of School Design, OSD, partners with families, districts, and community stakeholders to develop new schools that are informed by and responsive to family, community, and district needs. Working in close collaboration with the superintendents and new school leaders, OSD convenes interactive meetings and visioning activities to ensure multiple voices and ideas are represented from throughout the districts to inform the design and leadership of the new school. Well, I mean, that sounds easy and accessible and sensitive to community needs, to quote all the things in there. (laughs) It's written that way. (laughs) But I mean, it sounds easy, right? And a lot harder to start the process, though especially then you might think. Um, So here's some more from that same page. Quote, new schools are based on community need. DOE seeks to open school models that reflect deep research and best practices. 
OSD works in close collaboration with superintendents to develop schools with input and feedback from parents, community-based organizations, and youth. Rather than individual school leaders developing a proposal, DOE is seeking experienced educators who can construct a vision and a specific plan for a new school with the community. And we'll post a link to that text in the show notes. But the point is, uh, the role of the average individual citizen of New York City does not appear anywhere in that paragraph on proposing a new school. But doesn't that make sense, kind of? Why should I, as an individual, be able to walk into the DOE and be all, give me a new school now? Shouldn't it take more than that? Oh, it does. Do not worry. It might, for example, take a council member elect who's also worked for the Department of Education. Who understands the community's need, and we have no reason to believe this is not the case here, how to best present our case to the Department of Education. That's right. I mean, it's not like this is a hard case to make for the neighborhood. It really shouldn't be. When it comes to community need, Bay Ridge is in a good place. District 20, our school district, has among the fewest number of schools classified as underutilized by the DOE. We'll put a link to that data in the show notes. I mean, that sounds good. We have a need, it's documented and obvious, and we actually do have more of that need than some other neighborhoods, I guess, even if it is because they've been bringing in more controversial methods of dealing with their overcrowding crises already. How do we get this show on the road? Well, there's something else we need to think about. Uh, I think I know what this is. It's the politics. Always the politics. (laughs) So this is going to be a bit of an info dump. We know it's been full of fluff so far, folks. If we aren't wonky enough for you yet, as of recording this podcast, there are no proposals under open consideration by the School Construction Authority, the SCA, for new school in District 20. There's one for PS557, two primary school districts in District 30, and an intermediate school in District 15. And yeah, there are some permits filed for around different parts of the city, but none have touched down in Bay Ridge. So to achieve this one campaign promise, Justin has to get a school from scratch to opening day within his first term. As much as we hate to speculate, we can't help but wonder how exactly is Justin going to keep this campaign promise? Because, I mean, look at it like this. Right now in Diker Heights, literally a block out of the Bay Ridge neighborhood, we have an extension going on the William McKinley School, which is PS127. That's my alma mater. (laughs) Hey, it's going to add 364 seats to a school that's currently at 150% of capacity. So on November 15th of this year, this year, a joint land use slash youth schools and libraries committee meeting was held to unveil plans for the new addition. Here's what it took them to get to this point. Just a ton of work. Just going down the list. They revised plans eight times. They had to get input from a bunch of city groups and agencies. SHPO is one of them, the State Historic Preservation Office. If people really want to get into it, they can go listen to the recording of the Educational Policy School Board, which I went to myself. Uh, But for now, I'll just say that this was not a quick process. And now they're supposed to breaking ground in late summer 2018. And how long did it take them to get to the unveiling? So from the meeting to the end of proposed construction is three and a half years, potentially four and a half years. And that's already having a site that's mm. existing land that's already built into the lot. There's no purchasing. There's no crazy real estate and you're stuff already to deal taking with. that land away from students in terms of having space outdoors yeah right. right and i should say this is what i assume was about a year of design that the public didn't see because there were eight designs right. that were gone through and they were just just unveiling the final design at the oh, meeting so this has already been through like an rfp process and, yeah uh, so we're talking about a, a process that took over four years phew. So to speak generously, a project that has been approved, designed, redesigned, and maneuvered around the many codes, creeds, and regulations that New York City requires, at minimum, three or more years to complete, start to finish, 
that does not give our new councilman a lot of time to spare. Doesn't sound like it. Yeah, I mean, where do you find land in one of the most densely built cities in the United States? So then you say you find land. Where does the money come from? According to one of the SCA members at that meeting, the city is in quote unquote financial crisis, which was news to a lot of people in the audience. Well, but and wait a second. Like I thought we already have money allocated for, I think it's seven and a half thousand seats by 2024 in district 20. Fun fact, we do have that money allocated. Yay. Uh, so wait, so are you saying like these guys had to downgrade from having had that money allocated? I'm saying that the design they made of those eight designs, this was the most cost efficient. Wow. Okay. And they couldn't do the others financially. So, so flat out, just financial decision. Yep. Wow. Didn't even get to the community. It was wow. the final design. And they said it was, quote, going to happen. So now it's just a matter of making the budget fit the necessity. So the thing is, with all this in mind, we return to the original question. Can Justin Brannon fulfill his, quote, one campaign promise to build a school in four years? Let's put this conversation on pause for a second and have a conversation with Justin, who was kind enough to come into our studio and give us some of his thoughts on the matter. Hi, Justin. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for being here with Thank us. Thank you. Yeah, right on. It's cool to see where this is uh, recorded. Top secret location. It's exactly as I pictured. <laughs> um, so yeah, why don't you talk a little about your promise about a new school? Sure. It's the Justin Brandon Academy for the uh, Arts and Sciences. <laughs> <It's>, um, <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's this has been a highly coveted and amazing school district basically since like I was a kid. Mm-hmm. My class in fifth or sixth grade was like 36 kids. So it's kind of been overcrowded since like forever. And I started thinking about it and I didn't make a lot of promises in my campaign just because it's just not what I do. Um, (laughs) I've been promising to to do something for my wife for about three weeks and I still haven't done it. So I'd be lucky if I get the school off the ground. But um, I think it really started about... Ten years ago, my wife and I were at uh, like a Third Avenue festival or something. Mm -hmm. So I saw all these people pushing baby strollers. And I'm like, I don't know everybody from around here, but I know a lot of people. I don't recognize any of these people. Mm. So that's when I was like, wait, you know, this neighborhood is growing. There's young families moving here. And I'm like, this is going to be a problem because where they're moving here and we haven't built schools at the pace that. People are moving here. So I started digging into it. Then I eventually ended up working at the Department of Education where I could really get a front row seat. And I was like, oh boy, it's bad. Um, the schools are dynamite, but there I don't think there's one that's not at least 140% overcrowded. Granted, there's schools that are way more overcrowded than that. But the fact that every school we've got in our district is overcrowded is pretty unique. But the problem why we're not building is because we just don't have the real estate for it. Not only did they downzone years ago, but if you look around, like we don't have you know, if you got one or two family homes and then on the avenues, you got gigantic apartment buildings, pre-war apartment buildings. And that's about it. You don't have lots that come online. You don't have factories that might get shut down like some of the other parts of Brooklyn. So it comes down to getting creative. When I was working for the DOE, I was sort of tasked with helping roll out pre-K, mm-hmm. like sort of the second wave of pre-K. So, you know, Eastern Queens needs 500 more pre-K seats. Where in God's name are we going to put them? <laughs> All right, let's jump in a car with the guys from the School Construction Authority and literally drive around right. and look for places. It's a little bit more scientific than that, but not much. Very DIY. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. So it's like, hey, that, that looks like an empty lot. So you go around with your local local reps and say, okay, what's the deal with this place? What's the deal with that place? And you get creative and you say, okay, like, is this a great area for it? Whatever it is. Um, so I think the struggle, not so much here is is actually getting it done, is, is it finding the actual location for it? It's so rare that you get a plot of land that's big enough to build a, a real school. Like, yeah. a, oh, 
Oh yeah. You know, so pre-K is a different story because um, they're little, right? So but <laughs> these two little people, little buildings, like yeah. <laughs> you really shove like thirty kids into a garage. But um, you're right here. The studio could be a classroom. Studio, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah, it's so rare that we get like it's, large lots. Exactly. So, so it's so rare. Right. Angel Guardians Home is like the only thing that I can think of in my living memory that's a full block unheard of of our district size, and that came and it was immediately right, grabbed. Right, so right, right. that's still on the table, though. It's still it's possible. It's a look. I mean, a city block is like that's like winning the lottery. Yeah. Right? So I can envision a situation where you get a ton of senior housing, but you still have a there's still you can still school. fit something in there it's easily. Well, and that's actually kind of nice to have you know the kids around the older people and kind it of builds like a own little community. Yeah, and you know yeah. instead of just, mixed you know, use, mm-hmm. yeah, and it also makes things easier. Like when you anytime you get the city involved and a school is involved, suddenly everything else becomes easier to do because now the city is really invested in it right. and getting this done. So it's just about getting creative, but literally it's about driving around and asking around who's got space and then obviously depending on how intricate the ownership is like oh this guy owns it but it's actually an LLC that and then the you know DOE will be like forget it but if it's an easy sale it can really be easily done yeah. right so it's not like I'm calling for like you know uh, yeah. a unicorn so speaking of like getting it done you yeah. know you've got your transition team you've been recruiting for your staff once things fire up on January 1st like it's wild um, I think I'm going to put together some like advisory committees mm-hmm. because there are people who are way smarter than I am who I are way too expensive for me that I need their advice and I think we put together something where we meet a couple of times a year Mm -hmm. where we talk about what we're doing whether it's teachers retired teachers UFT members I want everybody because that's really like my vision is like yeah my name is going to be on the door and my name was on the ballot but that's kind of like where it ends it's about building a consensus and it's about the will of the community and look at times is going to be where I have to make a tough decision based on what I think the community wants but Mm -hmm. I'd like to avoid that. So yeah, look, I, I don't. I know that's not going to be easy, right? Because we're going to ultimately going to have to make a decision. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> uh, we can't spend four years figuring out where to put the school. No, no, we can spend about four <laughs> yeah. months if we're hitting this target. <laughs> right. So that's what I mean, right? Yeah. So things got to ha- things have to happen quickly. You know, just working at the DOE. I mean, spent. I used to love when I would go with the chancellor to, for meetings and stuff. Just sitting in the car with her for like mm-hmm. twenty minutes, I learned mm-hmm. more about yeah. education in, in New York City than I did from anything I've ever read. So when you just let yourself absorb that stuff from people it's amazing you know and and it's about letting go a little bit like yeah i'm the council person but you know more than this that you met this and i do tell me what i should do you know and being okay with that yeah you know that's actually that's a really great seg into something we talked about a little before we started recording which is you said in that great brooklyner article you know you're looking at this as a partnership between your office and the community um and for something as big as putting together a school you know not a lot of people show up to the sca meetings it's like, like shameful. What is there for us to do on our side that makes it easier for you to get this school for us? Sure, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things is we need to have less meetings on Tuesdays at 12 noon, right? Yes. That no one can go yes. to. I mean, even they just did like these, um, the monument committee. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. on like a Wednesday at 1130. Like who can go to these meetings, right? <laughs> Very um, specific kind of people. Exactly. I know who goes to these meetings, you know? Um, yeah. And part of that is transparency and making things more accessible where whether it's going to be having longer hours so people can actually come home from work we have offices now government offices that close at five o'clock yeah. i don't know about you but I, i'm still at my desk at five o'clock yeah. hoping i can get home by eight you know right so um the process normally with a new school is number one is obviously finding the location mm-hmm. um and then there is actually a codified process where the community is the input you know it's important where there's do we need a middle school do we need a high school all that kind of stuff some 
some of that stuff sometimes is based on the projections of what is actually needed. Once you land on a location and you say, okay, it's going to be a middle school. Now we start talking about, oh, what are we doing? Are we going to be a specialized? Is it going to be, you know, uh, are we going to offer other languages? Is it going to be an arts middle school? That kind of stuff. That's where like the cool stuff happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they usually give you a couple of months of you know taking feedback and that kind of stuff. And then really like the onus is on me and on us really to get that word out. Like I'm going to do participatory budgeting too. Right. Yeah. And one mm. of the things with that is like I need people to, to vote for it. Like yeah. I want to do it. Yeah. But it only works if people come and participate. How cool would it be then to have a school yeah. built where it's like, wow, I was part of that meeting yeah, to get yeah. that done. Well, and that's like, a great way to build community totally. too. It makes yeah. people feel like they, you know, they have some stewardship of the neighborhood, yeah. you know? But there is a codified process. I've been through a bunch of them where you talk about and sometimes it'll take longer than you don't want to get paralyzed by like options yeah. paralysis, right? But there's a pretty cool process where it's sort of mandatory that people mm-hmm. get to talk about what they want to do and uh, and you get to sort of vote on what happens. And then I think at the end of the day, I think I would have a, a big say over that by taking what I'm hearing from the community and saying, look, this is what we want. We want a school that teaches how to make French pastry. I don't know if that would Yes, please. <laughs> Magnet yes. school for French pastry. Yes. <laughs> there, I will show up to that meeting. I will vote for that. Um, I think I hear SEA's tires screech, screeching. Um, but yeah, but I, did, yeah. Um, DOE is pretty cool about that. Yeah. Like they, you know, like if you come up with some crazy idea, they're going to shoot yeah. it down. But um, but as long as it's within sort of a parameter, they're pretty open to it. My, my wife and I who have the, the art school, like we have kids who come because they want to get into Mark Twain and it's mm-hmm. so competitive. It's sixth, yeah. sixth grade. And it's like crazy. I got into uh, LaGuardia and art and design, right? Yeah. And it was so good, but it's high school, but it was so yeah. competitive. So there's a real need for these specialized middle schools now because um, they're just so popular. Right. So there's no reason why we can't have that school here or a school like that here, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah, but that's but think about how competitive it is. So that's that's the future. I mean, you know, Jeez. sixth grade, they're already thinking about their trajectory. and Well, and, and as a community, it's our job to make sure that they can then go on that trajectory exactly. and work towards that. Yeah, and if, yeah. if as adults in the community, whether we have kids or not, we're not making that opportunity for kids. Right. What are we doing? 100%. 100%. Cool. So like, so to you, like it feels doable. 100%. I mean, I've been through it. Um, in, in the time frame though. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I look, I think I'm operating on a, as soon as possible time yeah. frame. I'd love to take one of those goofy pictures of me with the stupid shovel in the ground with the, oh, yeah. the gold helmet on. <laughs> yeah. um, I'd like to take that picture tomorrow, you know, but. Um, I mean, you could. I could. <laughs> <laughs> we could take the photo. Some We've dirt got dirt. <laughs> Dan's got reflective vests. I do. I have reflective vests, a shovel in the we'll backyard. We'll put up the big, the big mission economy banner behind me it's you know it's being realistic too one of the things like you know we're talking about with like term limits right now mm. part of the, that argument is because things take so damn long with the city to do mm-hmm. that like there's parks projects that I'm gonna get to cut the ribbon on that I had nothing to do with but because Councilman Gentile <laughs> funded this back in 1925 I'm gonna be the guy that goes oh Justin's the best he just fixed his park and I'm like I didn't do anything but it takes so damn long so a typical politician doesn't want to do anything unless they're going to get credit for it. By design, I'm not that kind of guy. I just want to get stuff done. But the typical politician is going to say, why am I going to redo this park Mm -hmm. if 
I'm going to be out of office by the time this mm-hmm. beautiful new park is done. And you can't really blame these guys because they think like, hey, I'm the guy, like whatever it is. So some things take a long time. With schools, there's a school, there's a lot in Carlos Menchaca's district. It's just mm-hmm. outside our district. The yep. 746. Si- it's on PS 746. Si- yeah, it's on yes. 60th and 3rd, right? Yeah, yes. yeah, like right. Right as they go on. Yeah. They, I think they just did the whole stupid shovel picture. End of August. The whole thing is already over overcrowded. And they're still District 20, right? Uh, Yes. You have to rely on the, proje- like the the team at DOE that does all the zoning and the projections and stuff. These guys are geniuses because they can tell you in 2030, we're going to need a middle yeah. school on 3rd Avenue and 84th Street. Like they just know this yeah. stuff. So depending on, because we do have a need, then I know we'll be able to sort of expedite it. Because it's not like this is my uh, my legacy dream idea. It's like we really need this. Um, so they try to build it so it, it meets in time for when the need arrives, which for us is like yesterday. Well, yeah. I mean, I was reading some of the statistics. It's like right now we need four and a half thousand seats. By 2024, we'll need over 7,000 seats. This school adds, it was what, like the, the 746 was like a thousand seats? something like something. that. Maybe not so even. It's like, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it's you can't keep playing catch up the yeah, whole time. Yeah, it's crazy. You'll never. Yeah. I think we'll ever. I don't think we'll ever stop. Yeah, that's just the way the city. You know, the way it goes. And um, so that uh, that ultimately is going to make it easier. Well, and the funding's been allocated for those. Everything seats is by there. Like Twenty twenty four. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's just find the spot. Mm-hmm. You know, and in a neighborhood like ours, that's the struggle. Right. Is finding is finding the real estate. Do you have anywhere in mind, or is this all, that's all part of the process? I or? mean, there's a couple of places, sort of anecdotally, that I can think of. Um, know, you know, like, like on Fourth Avenue, right by the Seventy Cemetery train station. Oh yeah. There's a lot the size of Shea Stadium that has just been sitting there. Okay. Um, I mean, I love the Trump posters, posters they put up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we've taken so many pictures of those. <laughs> like. Uh, like, we've arrived, you know? Um, but I can think of a better use of that area, you know? Um, there's some other places. DOE doesn't like to retrofit normally because it's it's just easier for them to knock it down and build mm-hmm. it to right, their spec. Right. You know, like they call the Green Church School, yeah. right? Yeah. That's a perfect example. I mean, they knocked down this beautiful church, but they did the right thing by they included that rose. Uh, exactly. Window. They kept the coloring of the yeah, stones it's pretty, and that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, it's pretty they, like... They, at least they tried. Like, they tried. Yeah, yeah. And they were was, sensitive to and it. And that was done fairly quickly, you mm-hmm. know, and it was filled up even quicker, you know. So it's just a matter of finding the spots. And I've already been talking to, you know, SCA, sort of, you know, friends of mine that work there saying, guys, just so you know, I'm about to promise that we're going to build a new school. So <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. make sure you help me out with that. Yeah, you know? get, get that uh, <laughs> but, um, but I'm optimistic, um, re- uh, mainly because, like, the data is on our side, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, I don't think there's a single, I think Eric mentioned there's not a single school in our district that is underutilized. Yeah. No, no way. Yeah. 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 I mean they have they have people in you know in, in the in the custodian's closet. I mean yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. I remember like just growing up like, you know, I was in my school and then like I come back like after college and my school's like recess playground in the back is now more school. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. One of the things we talked to Eric about a little bit earlier in the show is is this situation that they've got out in Brownsville where they're doing very fast co-location of schools. Sure. How does that process unfold because it seems like it happened very quickly there. I mean, I was what involved, is that? Yeah, I mean, I was yeah. involved in a bunch of that stuff. I mean, I was, I was sort of had the privilege to be involved in some of the early discussions around desegregation. And it goes back to like what you were saying before about making sure that folks are aware of when community input is is desperately needed. Mm-hmm. I've seen some co-locations get shot down mm. because the community out-organized the DOE, you know? And, and <laughs> all right, that's, all right. Bay Ridge Progressives. 
you know what to do. <laughs> you know, and, and look, and then sometimes they're welcomed. Yeah. You know, sometimes it makes sense. Um, the, the controversial ones are the ones where they're trying to co-locate into a school that has real roots in a community mm-hmm. or a serious, active, and rabid, like, alum, mm. you, know, you know, that kind yeah. of thing, where they're like, yo, this is where I went to school. This is where my kids went to school. I don't want to see a change. And it's tough because sometimes the schools, you know, the enrollment in the schools is really low and the schools are not being used to the capacity that they could be used to. But you always want to try at least to exhaust every option you have to yeah. help that public school yeah. stand back on its on its own two feet. I used to get pissed because when I was working at DOE, when the New York Post would write an article about how, you know, the DOE doesn't care about charter schools. It's like, yo, if you knew how much time I spent trying to help these guys find space because it's the law, right? Yeah, and we yeah. got to do it. It used to drive me nuts. They would say, they don't care. It's like, yo, you know what I did on Thursday? Like, it's all I did, you know? Well, it, must, it must feel great then for Ava Moskovitz to come and say, that one's not good enough. <laughs> which, <Aww. laughs> which is very frustrating, you know? I mean, the DOE has a whole office that this is all they do is an office of non-public schools, you know? It's unfortunate because sometimes in, in certain communities, people are not aware of these meetings and then they feel like things happened overnight when they really didn't. Right. But, you know, I mean, uh, look, I don't think that, that DOE is going to go out of its way to tell everyone, come and fight this co-location. Yeah. It's not their job, right? Their right, job right. is to say, hey, we're coming to present what's going on. Well, and it's our job as citizens to come and right, say. Yeah. And so, pay attention. Yeah. yeah, pay it right. Come down and see what we're doing. And if you disagree with it, well, then get up, you know. Um, so the process works because I've seen at least two co-locations get killed mm. because the community just rose up and said, yo, right. this is not going to happen. They out-organized the DOE and it worked. And, and the DOE, lit, like to their credit, they listen. I think that the challenge there is when you get the numbers guys who go, well, okay, we don't have to do it here, mm-hmm. but we got to do it somewhere because right. yeah. we have to put, you know, there's a law that yeah. we have to put these guys somewhere. So it's sort of like whack-a-mole, you know, where it's like, all right, well, we won't put it here, but now this community is going to get the co-location. Exactly. Yeah. There, there's a certain amount of nimbyism where like, totally. the, yeah. the, the, the neighborhoods that can organize to protest and stop these things are sometimes the ones that actually are the most capable of absorbing yeah. something like that. It's very true. It's very true. And, it's, on, and if we're going to organize against something like that, it's also good to have the facts as to why and what's going to happen as a result. Yeah, because then you start pitting neighborhoods against neighborhoods where yeah. it's like, all right, we shot down this co-location, mm-hmm. but guess who's going to get it? The neighborhood next door. Like, And that's tough, you know? But like I was talking before, I mean, the Albert Schenker model of charter schools, which was like the way it was supposed to be, a laboratory, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, where yeah. they say, here's some great ideas we cooked up over the past couple of years. Now let's, let's inject it into PS, you know, OU812, right? Mm-hmm. So... That that is so far in the rearview mirror that now it's just gotten crazy, and I think you're pitting people against people and neighborhoods against neighborhoods. It's not right. So many politicians will get up there and go, "We need," you know, they'll call for something that there is no way in hell this could ever happen. I think because I've worked long <laughs> enough in government and yeah. I know what's possible and isn't, I, I'm going to have trouble calling for stuff that I know there's no damn way we can do that. Like I think it's easy and it's cheap to make those big promises or just just as ugly as it is on the other side where you're trying to scare people and that kind of stuff where it's like, come on, man. Mm-hmm. People just want to go to work mm-hmm. and be left alone, you know? Like, yeah. you know, and, and if people want to get involved, they should want to get involved because it's it seems like something they want to be a part of, not because they're fighting against it, you right. know? Like, like, I really got involved because I started going around to local civic groups and political clubs and going, oh, no, this is not for me, you right. know? So instead of, like, walking away, I just started my own thing. But it really, it should have been... This 
this is great. I want to get him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's so yeah. much more positive. There should be spaces that are welcoming enough to like bring you right into that yeah, and keep you yeah. involved and keep you involved and aware of the whole process because you can't spend all of your energy paying attention to what the school construction authority is doing in your neighborhood. <laughs> By the way, people, that's what we're for. Well, and, and also, I mean, <laughs> that, listening. I, I know I keep kind of bringing this up episode after episode, but I think that's also one of the real strengths in South Brooklyn right now is we've got Fight Back Bay Ridge. Oh, we've yeah. got DSA. We've got Bay Ridge for Social Justice. South Brooklyn Progressive Resistance. And we've got a whole slew of other civic organizations that have yeah. been here longer than the ones that popped up from the last couple of years. And, and this last year has really been about protest and fighting. But this next year, as, as we've all been kind of gelling together and cooking up these ideas, is really going to be about solidarity and coming building, together and yeah. building and construction. things. construction. Yeah. yeah, totally. Literally construction. <laughs> <laughs> all of us with the, the stupid helmets on with, yeah, the, right? with the shovels. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, want, I want my reflective glass vest to have glitter. Not vegan glitter, though. Vegan glitter that doesn't oh, hurt things. Oh, liberal snowflake. Right? <laughs> free-range glitter. Yeah. Free-range glitter. Organic free-range glitter. <laughs> Look, I think one of the things, the only good thing that came out of Trump is the fact that so many people are wide awake now. You mm. know, and, oh, yeah. And that we've got 55 people running for Congress. Yeah. Like, that's awesome. Oh, it just In increased to 56. <laughs> just while we were here. There like goes the ticker. But that's awesome, you know, because yeah. there was a time when, like, we couldn't find people to run. But this is how it starts, you know, and we're just, you know, now we have something to fight for and people are wide awake and um, it's exciting. It's, you know, the fact that there's more of us and we're growing by numbers and we all live and work and eat and breathe and sleep here yeah. is, you know, it shows like times are changing, you know. So thank you so much, Justin, thank for you. coming and speaking fun. to us. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, right hopefully on. we can do it again, although we know you'll be very busy for the next <laughs> yeah, four years. Councilman boot camp is going to be tough. <laughs> permits to file, ground to break, to sites to scope. Like. Yeah, right on, right on. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, guys. All right, no, thanks. All right, team. I don't know about you guys, but that seems to answer or at least address a few of our critical questions. I feel hopeful. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Eric, what do you think? So since y'all were in the room, mm -hmm. there are some contradictions. There are some things I just needed sussed out that didn't make sense to me. Deciding the details about what kind of school it will be, he kind of mentioned like it'll be a middle school and it could maybe be a super cool arts middle school or mm. some other kind of middle school. It seems really granular for community involvement. And it was kind of undercut by the fact that he said, uh, what was this quote? The guys at SCA should know what should be there. I think he might have been more referring to number of seats, the granular demographics data on like where it should be placed. Although I do agree that asking for community engagement on something kind of as superficial as like what kind of magnet school this is going to be. I don't is... think that's superficial necessarily. Well, I think that more important is where is the school built? Yeah. How are we going to deal with traffic? How are we going to deal with safety? Where is it located? I mean, those are all things that, again, as a community, we need to be asked asking ourselves. These are conversations, listeners, I hope you're having with your friends and with, you know, the people who you're around all day, because it's going to come to a point where we need to make decisions. Is the first question we want to ask is what cool new kind of school do we have? Like, that's not my first question when it comes to new schools. You listen to that board meeting that I recorded, yeah. the decisions were made. And that was a room full of people getting the decisions. And yeah. that doesn't fly well, uh, which kind of leads me to my next question is he says the DOE is open. I 
don't get that. You go to the DOE website, you can't find the email address of someone to talk to. So maybe this is something where he needs to help us open the door. Maybe this is something where we can work with Justin to actually have some councilman hearings on this before the DOE or the SCA are involved. And that's the other thing where he was talking about his transition team. Mm -hmm. He said that he wanted people who could form that kind of a committee when mm, like, he oh, gets the in. advisory committee type so of thing. So yeah. maybe we have to ask that advisory committee to start holding visioning sessions with the community. We want this to happen. And, you know, when progressives get excited about something, we start criticizing it so <laughs> right, that we can figure it all out. Like, we, take, we take it to the control groups and we start yeah. poll testing. That's the first thing. That's what I do. And, but that's the thing. Like, when have you ever had the chance? I'm asking our listeners yeah. now. When have you ever had the chance to build a school from nothing and just look at the end product and say, this is our school? This is what we did together, you know. But that was the original purpose of community boards to do unified urban planning visioning for what communities needed. And they never really ended up doing that. I would Mm. love maybe that should be our next episode is how that really works, Um, because that would be an essential structure for us to leverage over time. Well, and they have they have some kind of deadlines coming up soon, too, right? Deadline to apply is February 15th. And we'll put links in the show notes. But Eric, it looks like you have one last question. Final question for the people. Uh, he calls charters untenable, but it sounds like what he's saying is unsustainable. It's a really similar way of saying something very different. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So untenable it makes it sound like charters aren't going to happen. Like it makes it sound like, oh man, we just, we can't possibly get a charter in Bay Ridge. Charters will make themselves in Bay Ridge. They have no such problems. What I think he's saying is unsustainable. Mm. It is unsustainable for a district that is overcrowded by over 7,000 seats mm-hmm. to rely on a charter showing up. Right. And which is why I think he was talking about what we're building is a public school. Um, but I don't know where he's getting that from. That's- he's uh, he's our city council person. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to deal with citywide issues, not just Bay Ridge. Charters are the law of the land at this point. He's going to have to deal with them on a citywide level. But he does agree that, you know, Bay Ridge specifically probably is not the place for that to happen specifically because of our massive overcrowding and demographic needs that charters aren't going to solve our problem. Well, and that was that was definitely the impression I got as well that that this was really the kind of situation where the building itself is so desperately needed that finding something Ava Moskovitz is willing to put up with for her school is just not going to fix the problem. So talking about going outside the standard visioning process mm-hmm. for the DOE, if we as a community want to start figuring out what kind of places are possible contenders just amongst us three in the studio just to get this uh, conversation rolling. Well, to go for, you know, a real blue sky kind of thing, I think we should build a marine life and aquatic middle school on mm. the pier actually that i think sounds that would pretty be amazing badass. you could do like oyster reclamation the entire first floor glass yeah. floor yeah look down in the water all day that, that's actually not a too crazy idea there are existing marine biology focused high schools that are on the water elsewhere in the city that's so cool um i would love like you know kids could like take the How ferry awesome. and yeah. it could be like yeah and also, that would be an interesting way of trying to like boost the uh, the Narrows Botanical Garden, try to get mm. more transit coming down to the pier. And it would mm. be really cool for people to come off the ferry and see a school. And I'm telling you, the place that's going to need jobs in about 18 years when those kids grow up is the Chesapeake Bay needs cleaned 
yesterday mm. and there is not enough people helping do it i mean i now we're now we're going into the granular nitty-gritty of what kind of a magnet <laughs> school this is going to be so oh well, I we can, are, uh, we're also talking about a school that would be next to a freeway and we have some problems with that well, well at least until marty golden can't drive his car anymore speaking of of marty golden driving his car i know it's kind of anathema because a lot of them are his donors but i say in the 90s like those car lots i think you could easily eminent domain one or one or two of them and have a huge site for a middle mm. school or even a high school at that point yeah. and it's really not all that problematic to say take one of those car lots and make it a two-story car lot just stack one of them on top of the other and didn't didn't somebody say they're all basically owned by one company or something yeah anyway? a lot of them are owned by a single the bay ridge automotive group i believe it's called so they're all kind of franchised under the same huh. business well and even if you're looking at like historically i know even like jack had talked a little bit about the car lots and that like one less car lot yeah and then one more school and then heck if you want to really work it we can co-locate more senior housing if we do mm. multiples and they're they're all kind of clustered together something that would be really great there's a pre-k that's opening right next to those car lots by the time you take out one of those car lots you put build a school there those pre-k kids are coming right through Mm. all of a sudden you have in the 90s like the early 90s of bay ridge you have a school just straight up zone where kids can just right. be for what 18 years yeah. more or less and it's and it's an amazing transit hub if you're going to put a school in the bay ridge section that would help alleviate overcrowding in diker off of 86th street is like a perfect place and we heard from jack in a previous episode about how kids need to know their local store owners yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. and actually and if it's a magnet school at the end of the r line that gives the mta a reason to keep the r line running and gives them a really huge kick to get some elevators in there for handicapped accessibility ada compliance on the 95th street station would be amazing and then of course there was um the uh, angel guardian home Mm. and we would have loved to discuss all the great ways that you could co-locate massive senior housing development and like a school anchoring the corner because what better way than to have all the young kids like intermixing with Mm -hmm. the senior residents and providing a sense of continuity for the neighborhood in that way especially if they're living in place that is built-in after-school programs Mm. to have little kids entertaining the old people oh my god it works both ways that's just like oh yeah (sighs) but now uh i guess they sold to a developer and we have no idea what's going on maybe we'll know more when this episode comes out but you know we hit the freaking jackpot but we also lost something really important as well yeah, that was something I actually was kind of disappointed to hear during our our conversation with Justin when he was saying about the the BOE would rather come in and um, just demolish. And maybe that's something for our listeners to kind of think about and maybe ease back a little bit off of the demand and possibly doing a, a historic renovation of an existing space that will take a lot longer. Um, if that's someplace we want to go, we need to let our council person know now. And I will say that Shippo will be there with it. You cannot use an old building without making Shippo say you're keeping the facade and you're probably keeping some of the walls inside that facade. So renovation, if it is committed to, will be preserved. There's no doubt about it. And even with new buildings, if it's anywhere close to a a historic site, it also can't be obstructionist. So if you want to start thinking about historic sites in Bay Ridge, where you can know it's not going to be obstructed and they're going to have to pay more attention to your school, that's where you want to go with it. Yeah. And then the pie in the sky stuff is the highway trench. There are examples of decking over 
highways. That trench has separated us from our neighbors in Diker for a very, very long time. And it's only accentuated the differences between us. I crossed that every day to go to McKinley for school. I don't think that those cars need all that sunlight. Bridge over a one or two block section of that highway. Mm -hmm. Figure out how to remediate the noise and the vibration from traffic, which is doable. I mean, if you go to Manhattan and you drive along the uh, FDR, you're going under buildings um, and have like a green space and a school Mm -hmm. on top of that and link us back together. That's super... It's very vicious. But I hope that just a few of those ideas we floated, plus Justin's idea at 77th Street and 4th Avenue, helps to jumpstart a conversation we really need to have because the clock is ticking. Without cutting corners on school design and the input process, we need to identify a site by April or May, I think. I'm really glad that Justin sat down with us and really opened up about education as something that we should all be more passionate about as existers in our community. But I just can't see how we're going to have the school open by the time the first term ends. I mean, hearing all of the dates, I understand where you're coming from with that. At the same time, he seemed really confident. And if everything's lined up and the community pushes, it's not impossible for us to get a school of our own. I don't see the ribbon cutting ceremony happening in the first four years. What could happen is he gets all of those ducks in a row to the point where the school is going to happen no matter what. By the end of his first term, that is 100% doable. He can make this school inevitable in Bay Ridge in his first four years. Absolutely. He's opening things that Gentilly put mm, forward. Exactly. So he, he might be priming us a little bit for those expectations. But honestly, I don't care. I yeah. don't care about it happening in four years or five years. But also, I don't have a kid. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, Dan, I don't think you need a kid to care about the state of our schools. Uh, You know, I'm going to jump in on that with Eric. I agree. I wonder how easy is it to get into panels and stuff. The CEC education policy panel? Without having a kid. Let me tell you, Dan, (laughs) it is impossible to get onto the CEC without a child. It is a requirement of application. Hey. (laughs) And on the education policy panel, the only non-child members are appointed by the borough presidents. Well, you got to know the nuts. Brooklyn Borough President to get on the education policy panel. I have enough time to sit in on meetings and everything. Like you know, the weird like Wednesday afternoon time frames don't really bother me mm. all that much. I have really weird working hours, <laughs> but I guess I'm not able to participate. <laughs> I got to tell you, Dan, there's a lot that could be done in this community for getting non-parents involved in education policy. I have a cat. Does that count? The other part of this and thinking is like the three of us sitting here. It's easy for us to say like, oh yeah, let's do a long-term massive thing, but. You know, if somebody has a child and their child's going to be going to school next year and there's going to be 50 kids in one classroom, I can understand why they might not want to take that like gigantic, ambitious leap. There's no way we get over 7,000 seats in here by the time that we need them and we're going to outpace it. Like there's there's no catching up. There's just lessening the blow. I mean, that's something that uh, Quaglione made a really big point to hammer Justin on during the uh, campaign, which is we needed 5,000 seats five years ago and we got them, but now we still need 5,000 more seats. And it, I really didn't appreciate that he felt like the solution to that wasn't to reform the DOE, make the school construction process faster, to push for those kind of things, but to dox... Um, get, get the names and addresses of you know how many children live in each house. Sounded to me like you wanted to ice raid the place. So maybe in a addition, we need to really ask Justin not just to make the one promise of a school, but to push as hard as he can for reforming DOE processes and making school
tools get done faster and more responsive, work with remediating any bad blood there might be in community boards with NIMBYism. Just to speak to that, like I know we do kind of make fun of Dan Donovan quite a lot for, oh, we'll study it, we'll study it, we can't make a decision without studying it. But in this case, if you're going through the process of figuring out how to get a new school in the district, like that's the perfect opportunity to be like, here's where we hit a hitch and here's where we hit a hitch and come up with something so that at the end we have a really comprehensive post-mortem on what it took and where we ran into trouble. And then we can start fixing those problems and hopefully speed it up the next time. And I will say that be as critical as you want. The New York Department of Education is one of the few cities that's earmarking money for more schools right now. Hmm. So that is something we really need to not take for granted. And we can be thankful, but we also need to be persistent and ask for more. Yeah. Because kids deserve more. Yeah. And the only other alternative is to see not just a, a deterioration of education in, in our neighborhood, but an increase in opportunities for racist dog whistling on the same topic like this is something that generates tons of bad blood and is really hard to walk back even once we get the schools in place and i don't want this neighborhood to turn on itself mm-hmm. over seats in a school it's an opportunity for us to build bridges as well diker is one of the areas that has the biggest need for a school like I live in Bay Ridge. I'm willing to help Diker get a school. Heck yes. And hey, that's why we did this podcast, folks. We want you to take ownership of your own neighborhood. And we want you to stay informed and know how to make a difference. And we want to thank Eric again for all the research he did and work that he put into this episode. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Eric. Listeners, if there's something in the neighborhood that you want to talk about, if there's something relevant to the political landscape of Bay Ridge that you can help us get some insight on, we're interested in hearing from you. Our email is contact at RadioFreeBayRidge.org and our website is www.RadioFreeBayRidge.org. And follow us on Twitter at at Radio Free BR. You can download the pod on iTunes, Google, or wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, if you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider taking a moment to leave a review. It really helps those sweet, sweet algorithms. And tune in throughout the rest of December and January to keep hearing from our New York CD11 congressional contenders for the Democratic primary. Full disclosure, I was offered a job earlier this month with Omar Vade's campaign for reference. That's a couple months after we interviewed Omar for our nativism episode. We're letting each candidate know and giving them the option of having somebody other than me help conduct their interviews. For more information, check out my bio on the About the Host page on the website. And I will be staying beautifully neutral the entire time, as I generally always do, because no one really lines up with my core beliefs ever. <laughs> Sucks to be an anarchist, and man. And I can't vote for any primary candidates. So until next time, stay free, Bay Ridge. Mm-hmm.